are listening to Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio. I am your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you decided to tune in today. Joining me on today's program will be Dr. Robert McHugh. Uh, if you've been a longtime listener to the program, you probably recognize Dr. McHugh's name. He is an expert in the area of technical analysis. Uh, Bob was on the program about six months ago and said that uh, based on his analysis, uh, gold was about ready to break out. Certainly, uh, he was spot on in that prediction. So we'll be talking to Bob today about what technical analysis is and uh, what he sees lying ahead for stocks and bonds, and that would be stock mutual funds and bond mutual funds, uh, which are the assets that many people own in their retirement accounts, like their IRAs and 401ks. So I know you're going to find my conversation with Bob to be extremely informative, and I would encourage you to stay tuned for that. You know, in this segment, uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, a dynamic that is picking up some steam and will likely affect each and every one of us at some point here in the relatively near future. Now, if you've been a longtime listener to the program, you know that I have long advocated a two-bucket approach for managing money. And just to explain what that means, you would divide your assets, your investments up into two buckets. One bucket would contain assets that would perform well in a deflationary environment, and another bucket that would contain assets that would per, that would have assets that would perform well in an inflationary environment. In other words, these assets would perform inversely to the U.S. dollar. So, in other words, as the U.S. dollar loses purchasing power, the assets in this bucket would preserve purchasing power. Now, why do you need two buckets? Well, to really understand why the two-bucket approach makes sense, you need to understand really how our money system works. And that's really my topic for this segment today, because it's amazing to me uh, how many people really don't understand how, how money and currency works and what the difference is. And even those who are financial professionals sometimes have a hard time defining what money is and what currency is and what the difference is. Technically speaking, when you say you need a bucket to have assets that perform well in a deflationary environment, a deflationary environment is really a contraction of the money supply. Now, this all gets pretty technical, but the thing to remember is that over 95% of today's money is debt. So if you think about money and think about assets that many institutions own, maybe that you own, your asset is the liability of another person. So to give you an example, in the case of a bond, a bond is really the loan that you make to an entity. So if XYZ Corporation wants to raise money to build a new manufacturing plant, they might go out and borrow money from investors. That's called a bond offering. And when they borrow money from investors and by issuing bonds, uh, they promise to pay those investors interest every year, typically twice a year, until that bond reaches its maturity date. And then on the maturity date, the company, in this case XYZ Company, agrees to pay back all the investors their principal. Now, what happens if XYZ, through 
a series of events becomes completely insolvent. They have no assets and they can't pay back the bondholders. The bondholders exchanged an asset, cash, for this bond, expecting that they would get back more than they invested. Now, all of a sudden, they don't have anything. So that asset is really dependent upon the creditworthiness of the bond issuer, XYZ Corporation. Now, when you look at debt that exists worldwide, as I said, over 95% of today's currency or money is debt, which means that it's only an asset if the counterparty, the person owing that debt or the entity owing that debt is creditworthy. And the more debt that exists in the economy, the more likely it is that that debt will go unpaid and it will turn into a deflationary event. So let's go back and take a look at what happened a little more than a decade ago when we had many, many financial institutions engaging in the business practice of making subprime mortgage loans. Well, a subprime mortgage loan is simply a way to, it's a way to describe really what happened. And these lenders were loaning money to home buyers that were less than credit worthy, in many cases, letting them finance 100% of the purchase price. So they were engaging in just really poor lending practices. Not surprisingly, when you're willing to loan money to anyone to buy a home, you see that a price bubble forms. And as bubbles always do, that price bubble eventually bursts. So the more debt that we have, the more likely it is we're going to see a deflationary event. And private sector debt levels are now again at record highs. That doesn't count government debt. So you need some assets to protect yourself if we have a deflationary event, because typically stocks do not like deflation. And you just need to go back and take a look at what the stock market did from 2007 to 2009 to prove that point. Now, the other bucket would contain assets that would perform well in the event that the U.S. dollar loses purchasing power. So as the Central Bank of the United States, the Federal Reserve, engages in loose money policies or they engage in programs of quantitative easing, which is just a banker term for creating money out of thin air, the dollar loses purchasing power. So the more that money is created, the less value it has, and this shouldn't surprise anyone, scarcity creates value, abundance does not. I mean, it's the basics of economics. If you took Economics 101, you, you learned all about supply and demand, and those rules apply to currencies just like anything else. So you need to have assets that will perform well because are we going to have inflation or deflation? And the answer, of course, is yes. Uh, we just don't know necessarily which one will come first, although it's looking more like inflation will come first. Now, getting back to the definition of currency, to, to really define currency, many people think of, of the money we use or the currency we use as wealth. But currency is not wealth. Currency is merely a claim on wealth. And as the currency is devalued, as it buys less, as we have inflation, it claims less real wealth 
And it's that dynamic that's been emerging, as I just mentioned, as one of the biggest threats to a comfortable financial future, whatever that happens to look like to you, whether you have goals of being financially independent, whether you have goals of of retiring and having a stress-free retirement, that, at this point, given world monetary policy, is probably one of your biggest threats, if not the biggest. So I believe that prudent investors, those that understand this dynamic, will begin to look more and more at tangible assets. To put that another way, I think that having more tangible assets or more real wealth is going to become very important in the days or months or years ahead. Now, I have discussed this in great detail on past uh, programs, but for context purposes, Currency is just one option for storing your economic energy. I mean, economic energy is what is earned through our own labors or by the assets we put to work for us. So, for example, you go to work, you earn a paycheck, and that's delivered to you in the form of currency. You expended energy to earn that paycheck. So now that economic energy is paid to you in the form of currency. Now you have three choices when you get that check. You can spend it for living expenses. You can save it in its current form. You can keep it in currency by depositing the check in a bank account. Or you can save it by exchanging it for a tangible asset, which you might think of as real wealth. But those are the only three choices. Now the other way you can get currency is to put money to work for you. See, money has its own economic energy. And if you were to go out and get yield, and that yield or that interest on the bond, like we talked about at the beginning of the segment, is paid to you, you have the same three choices. You can take that interest that you have collected and you can spend it for living expenses. You can save it in its current form by depositing the check in a bank account, or you can save it by exchanging it for tangible, a tangible asset like real wealth. Now, in the last segment of the program today, I'm going to share with you where you would be had you at different points in history made the choice to keep that currency in its current form, keep it in cash, or by exchanging it for a tangible asset like real wealth. Now, when... Chris Martinson was on the on the program uh, a few months ago. He talked about the fact that re- there is real wealth, or there's primary wealth, which is gold, silver, land. Uh, there's secondary wealth, which is maybe a manufactured product made from primary wealth. So maybe uh, steel is made into springs, so the springs would be secondary wealth. And then there is tertiary wealth, which is currency. It's a claim on wealth. It's not real wealth. So as time goes on, as more currency is created, as your tertiary wealth or your currency buys less, it probably makes sense for you to think about having some of those assets in tangible stuff. It probably makes sense for you to have some of those assets Invested in such a way that your investment is not the liability of someone else. So I close this segment by asking you this question. What assets do you have in your portfolio that are not the liability of someone else? And if you can't think of one, 
I would encourage you to stay tuned for the last segment of today's program where I'll be talking about this in more detail. I'll be back with Dr. Bob McHugh. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. I have the pleasure of chatting once again today with Dr. Robert McHugh. Uh, Dr. McHugh has the site Technical Indicator Index. He is a hardworking guy, and he's been publishing the technical analysis newsletter for 16 years. Uh, He is also the president of Mainline Investors. And uh, he is, his most recent book uh, is, uh, I think he mentioned it was about five years old, but still very relevant. It's in my library. I'd encourage you to check it out. It's The Coming Economic Ice Age. And uh, Bob, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Dennis. Always a pleasure to be here. So, Bob, when you were on in uh, July, uh, you had mentioned that uh, uh, you were very bullish on gold, and it turns out that gold has uh, appreciated fairly significantly since then. Uh, what's your take now? Yeah, gold uh, has risen from about uh, 1175 in July to uh, high as 1560-ish uh, so far since then. And uh, that's because we, uh, in our technical analysis, where we chart uh, the probability of where the, the direction of where uh, stocks are going, gold's going, uh, we're in a, a wave, what we call a wave three, uh, which is a pretty dramatic wave. And uh, these impulsive waves are, consist of five subwaves. And what we have here is so far, three of the five subwaves have occurred uh, one up, two down, three up. And what we're in now is a minor four down. And that's why you see gold going down. In fact, it's down pretty hard again today. Um, it's correcting the recent rally. And once the small wave four down finishes, uh, there'll be a very dramatic fifth small wave, actually it's going to be a large wave, uh, of three. So in other words, we have a, a little corrective pause here inside a continuous impulsive bullish market for gold. And uh, I say probably looking at the charts here, another three weeks or so possibly for this correction. And about the time the stock market tops, the gold correction here should bottom, and then we should see gold uh, take off really sharply, um, substantially above where it is now. So, Bob, if a listener uh, is listening to us talk, and you use the term technical analysis and wave three, uh, this is almost like another language for someone that might have money in an IRA or a 401k. Can can you explain a little bit about the kind of work that you do every day? Sure. Um, what I learned, I managing money for a couple of decades, uh, I, I managed uh, over a billion dollars for a very large, uh, large banking institution, is that um, the fundamentals that you hear on the on the radio on the news uh, about uh, earnings and supply and this and that really are not the predominant determinant of price changes and price moves. There's a group psychology that is the primary determinant of price moves, and the study of this group psychology, the mood of the group, 
is technical analysis. And what we've learned is that the the markets themselves actually tell us where they're going next. By understanding the language of the markets, we can make a prediction of where they're headed next and how far they're going to go. And so we have developed an entire body, an entire science of various indicators and charting methods such as Elliott Wave analysis, patterns that give us that communicate to us from the market, from the market itself, which is the, the uh, group psychology uh, of where they're, they're going next. Uh, markets are basically the accumulation of all knowledge by everybody on the planet at one time. So the information that we read off of the charts that they're giving us is, is full information from, from everybody that participates in, in the markets. So, Bob, when you were uh, explaining that gold is pausing here in what you called a, uh, you know, a wave four down, uh, you'd mentioned that uh, gold will likely start to move up uh, when, the, when stocks start to move down. Um, where do you see stocks going uh, long term? And uh, if uh, you dare to be so bold, can you talk a little bit about timing? Sure. Um, we've been tracking, and I put this in my book, uh, a massive pattern since 1986 for the stock market, which is uh, a rising bearish wedge pattern and also a megaphone top pattern. Coincidentally, one lays nicely over top of the other. And when we look at these patterns, they have a rising upper boundary line. So as time progresses, the pricing of the market can continue to rise uh, along the top line of this boundary line of this pattern. However, the pattern has five stopping points, up, down, up, down, up. And we're getting very close to completion of this uh, 30-year pattern. And uh, this is the large picture for it. Uh, you know, it, it, whether it tops, you know, now or in a couple months or, or even next year, the point of this pattern is it's, it's, it's a dramatic pattern. It, it's forecasting. You can forecast where prices go when it completes because it could drop, prices drop to the beginning of where this pattern started. We're talking 4,000 uh, in the Dow. So there's going to be something cataclysmic that this pattern is telling us is coming. And again, it's two patterns. It's a megaphone top and a rising bearish wedge, both for the same downside price target. To get a more precise look on when this top could happen, there's actually two other smaller megaphone patterns inside this large one. We're tracking a uh, one from July of 2017, which, you know, is about three years old now and a half years old, and uh, that megaphone topping pattern is getting close to completion. It is looking for another uh, rally uh, here, which we're seeing now. Uh, the Dow could rise even as high as 28,000, 28,000, before it completes. But, but the probability of it stopping is around that point is very high. And timing-wise, we have a major cycle turn date uh, coming at the end of this month. And um, there are three different independent cycle turn dates that we follow, uh, sciences, independent of each other, and they're all pointing to a turn in the market, stock market, the end of this month, beginning of December. That may be a potential for a, uh, a top in the stock market of some significance at that time. Well, if you're just joining us, we're chatting today with Dr. Robert McHugh, 
his website is Technical Indicator Index. He is the president of Mainline Investors. And, and Bob, as you were chatting there, I know some of the listeners uh, heard you say maybe go as low as 4,000 in the Dow, a drop from 28,000 to 4,000 sounds on the surface really extreme um is there any 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 way that uh that, that, that maybe it doesn't go that far that the fed intervenes again uh that, that they they print money and it drives this a little higher for a little longer they can delay this because uh the pattern has a rising upper boundary line and prices can crawl along that top for a period of time um but the pattern is a very strong historic track record of accuracy. We've had about six of these we've seen in the last century. I put them in my book. I showed them. And inevitably, every single time we see these, um, we see a dramatic result in decline. It's the Great Depression of the 30s saw one of these patterns that led to, you know, an enormous drop in stocks. And we saw it before the, the the recession of the 2000s. We saw it before the 1987 stock market crash. We saw it before the Great Recession of 2007 to 2009. And so there's, but this one's bigger than all the others. This is a big one. All those were part of this large pattern. And so, um, you know, well, not all of them were part of this, but but the recent ones were. This one from the 2000s. So. What, what this what this is telling us is that yes, there's going to be a reckoning day, and it's coming. And I don't know what that means, but when you look at these price drops, this price drop, it's going to be pretty cataclysmic. You can use your imagination what kind of things could happen to draw that down. Well, and and Bob, as I'm just doing some some quick math here, if I take twenty eight thousand on the Dow and I drop to to four, I'm in that eighty five percent range, and that pretty much would uh, mimic. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, the drop stocks saw back in nineteen twenty nine. That's right, Dennis. That's exactly right. Yes. So it's been done before. We've seen it before, off the same pattern. Yes. So. Bob, when you when you when you analyze what's going on in, in the overall economy, if if this is a fair question, um, what similarities do you see now versus conditions that existed uh, prior to that cataclysmic drop? You know, eighty, ninety years ago. Well, for one thing, I think you see a almost a worshiping of the uh, of, of the of Wall Street, uh, a where people are just. Uh, it's it's bubble mania. They're they're throwing dollars at at anything. I mean, any new technology company that comes out, they're losing billions of dollars, and yet they, they, they their stock keeps going up. I mean, it's insane. It's crazy. Uh, everybody's looking for the next Amazon, so they're just throwing dollars at at that. So there's an insanity. A a, a, a and one of the theories in, in technical analysis is contrary sentiment. And when you see this type of a euphoric, bullish, uh, blow-off thinking uh, by the masses as a whole, you know you're getting close to a top, and uh, and, and and people are going to get caught, quite surprised by by what's about to happen. Now, what's about, is that next month, next year? I, I can't tell you precisely uh, until we get closer to it, but um, this chart is saying, watch out, gang, right below. There's a there's a reckoning day coming in the next few years for sure. 
Well, we're chatting today with Dr. Robert McHugh. Uh, the clock tells me that uh, we have to end this segment, but the good news is Dr. McHugh will join me in the next segment when RLA Radio returns. Stay with us. I'm Dennis Tubergen. You are listening to RLA Radio. I am chatting today with Dr. Robert McHugh. Uh, Dr. McHugh is the publisher of the Technical Indicator Index newsletter. He's been doing it for 16 years. Um, I believe, uh, Bob, that uh, over 16 years, I think you've had over 20,000 subscribers, so a, a big following. He is also... Uh, the president of Mainline Investors, Inc., and his most recent book is The Coming Economic Ice Age. And uh, even though it's been a few years since that has been released, uh, it is still very relevant. I would encourage you to check that out as well. So, Bob, let's just start by kind of picking up where we left off in the last segment, if we could. Uh, you had mentioned that, um, you know, it's, it's your view that the Dow, uh, based on your research, could drop, you know, 85% or so. So, where will money flow to uh, as this uh, as the, as the market unwinds? I mean, uh, p- people are going to go somewhere. Is that going to be bullish for bonds at that point, despite the fact that interest rates are already so low? Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at a long-term chart here of the, the U.S. bond, and uh, again, using the same technical analysis uh, theory. Um, Bonds are going to go much higher in price, and interest rates are going to go much lower as a flow of capital looks for uh, safety. Uh, and U.S. Treasury bonds are going to be considered one of the safest places to put their money uh, because of the military strength of the United States. Um, that's what makes the sovereign debt of the United States special compared to the sovereign debt of other nations. So uh, the chart I have here says, yeah, gold or uh, bonds are, are headed to higher. Interest rates are going to head lower. And that's a shame for retirees because, you know, the, the prior generation of retirees enjoyed their cash earning, you know, anywhere from 6 to 12% at different times. And that really helped supplement their retirement income. Unfortunately, the generation that's retiring now, the baby boomers, are not enjoying that same experience. So um, at this point, you're just looking for safety, protection of your of holding what you have, and, and you can't use it as an income generator, which is a little bit sad. But it doesn't look like it's going to get any better uh, based upon what the, the charts are telling me. As stocks drop, um, bonds are going to rise, interest rates are going to get even lower. So, Bob, when, when uh, you look at the fact that the, uh, the, the 30-year bond, as we're recording this, the, 30, the, the U.S. Uh, uh, 30-year bond, I think is about 2.25% or so, how low can it go? That's already an extremely low interest rate. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm looking at this thing, and I mean, we may end up going negative in the United States. Uh, I hate to say it. I hate to see it. Uh, I think it's, it's ludicrous, but... Um, it's going to get to the point where people need safety so badly that uh, they just want some, some place to hold it that it's going to be there when they go to get it back. Because you can't keep it in the, under your mattress. You know, you're going to have to have some type of a, a safekeeping place for your for your money. And um, so that's going to be U.S. bonds, I think. 
So, Bob, given that there's uh, about $17 trillion uh, of, of debt, of sovereign debt, government debt worldwide, and, and correct me if uh, that number is, is off at this point, that is already yielding negative rates, um, isn't this, you know, the, the stock market's in a bubble where you're predicting a big decline, but uh, if we go negative here in the U.S. and you've got all these negative yielding bonds all around the globe, uh, isn't the next big bust going to be the bond market? I mean, it could be, uh, but, you know, who's going to pay interest when they don't have to? Uh, you know, when people are, are buying, you know, the money leaves the stock market and it has to go somewhere, they're going to be buying something that pushes prices up and interest rates down. I don't see where the bond market is going to get penalized uh, and where prices drop and interest rates rise when there's so much demand for it. Uh, in the supply-demand equation, the demand side of that equation is going to be increasing dramatically. I wish it would uh, for the benefit of retirees and so on, but I don't see it. So, Bob, let's, if we can shift gears just a minute, there's there's uh, certainly uh, uh, more quantitative easing, more money creation going on now, even though I think uh, the Fed chairman, uh, Mr. Powell, said, well, don't call it that. Um, you know, they're, they're pumping money into the repo market. Um, at what point does all this money creation, this, this quantitative easing, whatever you want to call it, at what point does that catch up with us? Well, that's a great question. I mean, that's why gold is, is the so bullish. The charts are so bullish for gold. I think it anticipates anytime there's any kind of problem, they just print more cash, more money, more money, more money. And what that means is the value of gold and precious metals is, is going to go up dramatically as they print more and more um, and try to save the stock market from a plunge. But, um, you know, depending on the geopolitical events that cause this coming plunge, printing money may not do a thing for it. You know, we're talking war here, you know, and, and it's interesting in my book, I, I mentioned that almost every time we've had these major uh, collapses in, in the mark, stock market and these megaphone tops, topping patterns showed up, there was also accompanied by war. So I think we're talking about there's global war coming and, uh, you know, printing money, I'm not sure that's going to help in that situation, but gold and silver are going to do very, very well. So do you have a take on other tangible assets uh, other than gold and silver? Uh, what's your take, for example, on real estate? Do you, do you have an opinion? That's a tough one because, you know, if you look at it purely as an inflation, hyperinflation asset where the Fed's going to print more money, so then real estate should go up in value. However, when you're talking about uh, a crushing uh, economic spine, there aren't going to be buyers, especially in the high end. And so that drives prices down. So in real estate, I, I don't have a perfect handle on it, but I see I see conflicting forces where there's one hyperinflationary force from Fed bring money and the other, a depression coming or a serious recession that will lower demand. So uh, it may be like we've seen where you just, you know, you don't see it going up a whole lot. You don't see it going down a whole lot. Somebody owns a home and, and they're glad to have it, and they hold on to it. The other risk with real estate, though, that's really propping up, growing dramatically, and not much is being said about it, is the rising increase in local real estate taxes. And this is killing retirees. Um, I don't know how they're getting away with it, but 
uh, real estate taxes are rising dramatically. Uh, they, they justify it for funding education in schools, and nobody wants to speak out against what's going on in the school systems. But um, the, the, the old elderly are being forced out of their homes because they can't afford the real estate taxes anymore. Uh, they paid off a house, and they have their real social security, and the, the real estate tax bill comes in, and, and they're shocked. So you're seeing a lot of selling right now in the, in the lower-income homes, and, and it's a shame. Um, there's no regulation to protect them, um, and then they t- reduce the tax ability to reduce on your taxes to deduct it. So there's a lot of forces working against people holding onto their real estate. So that's that's a negative for real estate, too. Uh, Bob, let me uh, go back to uh, gold for a minute, if we could. Um, you know, there's a, a, a central bank statement by the Dutch central bank that came out saying that, uh, you know, gold is a good asset to own. Um, China has uh, a lot of gold. Russia has a lot of gold. Uh, do you see at some point in the future uh, gold actually becoming money again like it like it has been in the past? Yeah, I think it could. Um, I think people that are accumulating junk silver, which the, the, the value of that is you have currency. You know, there's lots of small dimes and so on that you can use to buy something at a store. Gold's a little harder because there's so much value in one coin that you can't buy small purchases with it. But um, if this whole thing collapses and gets out of control, it'll be nice to have some coinage on hand in, in, from silver and gold uh, stashed away somewhere um, to, to, to end up transactions as the faith uh, of people in, in the uh, system that declines. Uh, perhaps, you know, if we're talking war, uh, you don't know what changes are going to happen politically. And um, so it'll be handy to have something that's been time-tested to do some purchases with at least a, a short-term basis so things straighten out. So, uh, Bob, I don't know to what extent you, you track this, but when you, you take a, a look and, and just, just stop and think about uh, some of the some of the events that that could happen that that would would lead to your your, your forecast or the conclusions you're coming to. Um, assuming this were to happen before the election of next year, um, you know, what's your take on the the, the 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 political change that we could see? That could be pretty monumental. Yeah, I mean that's that's a great question. Uh, it's fascinating to watch all that's going on here. It's a tremendous political civil war going on in our country, and uh, it's passionate. So I don't know if this will rival what we saw in the Civil War or not, but that's the risk here, Um, you know, how this whole thing shakes out politically. And I don't really know. I don't have an answer. The charts are not optimistic, but, I mean, is there a chance that we get past next year's election before what I'm talking about happens? Yes, there is a chance. Um, It could be that the Political forces pulling all the stops to get uh, keep things together till after the election, but um, you know this this chart is definitely saying that there's serious trouble ahead, whether it comes before next election or not. I can't quite uh, pinpoint that. Well, we are chatting today with Dr. Robert McHugh. His website is technicalindicatorindex.com. I would encourage you to check it out. Uh, his most recent book uh, is available, I'm assuming, on Amazon, Bob. Is that the case? 
Yes, that's right. That's where he is. Yep. The coming economic ice age, I would encourage you to check it out. He is also president of Mainline Investors, Inc. And, uh, Bob, it's amazing how fast a 12-minute segment goes by when we start to chat. But we're going to have to end it here. So uh, appreciate you joining us today and uh, would love to have you back down the road a bit. I'd love to be back, Dennis. I always enjoy speaking with you. And I thank you for the opportunity. We will return after these words. I'm Dennis Tubergen. You're listening to RLA Radio. Thanks to Dr. Bob McHugh for joining us on today's program as well. You know, when listening to Dr. McHugh's forecast based on his technical analysis, you come to the realization that this two-bucket approach for managing money that I talked about in the first segment really makes a lot of sense. You have one bucket with assets that will perform well in a deflationary environment and another bucket that contains assets that will perform well in an inflationary environment. And as I talked about in the first segment, currency really is not wealth. Currency is a claim on wealth. When you get currency in the form of U.S. dollars, which is how most of us get currency, you can really use those dollars to meet living expenses. That's choice one. Choice two, you can save the money in its current form by depositing it into a bank account. You keep it in cash. The third choice is you exchange it for a tangible asset or what I would call real wealth. Now, if you turn the clock back 20 years, let's just say that you earn $250 by working or by putting money to work for you. Now, if you opted for choice one and you use the money to make a house payment, pay the rent or buy food, obviously it's gone. Now, if you put the money in a savings account and you earn 3% interest on the money, today, 20 years later, you'd have about $450. On the other hand, if you put the money into a tangible asset, like gold or silver, you would have preserved more of your economic energy. In the case of gold, that $250 would today be worth about between $1,400 and $1,500. And in the case of silver, it would be worth about 1000 So it would outperform keeping the money in cash by a ratio of 2 to 1 in the case of silver or 3 to 1 in the case of gold. Now, if we were to move the decimal just a couple places to the right and look at how much of that economic energy one would have preserved by converting the currency to another tangible asset like real estate, you would still find a better outcome even though real estate values suffered a massive devaluation a bit more than a decade ago. Now, the point of this is simply this. This currency devaluation, in my view, is going to continue and it's going to pick up steam. Now, maybe some of you saw the statement made this past week by Russian President uh, Vladimir Putin, and obviously there are, are, are some politics involved in this statement. But he said this, the dollar, referring to the U.S. dollar, enjoyed great trust around the world, but for some reason it is now being used as a political weapon to impose restrictions. Many countries are now turning away from the dollar as a reserve currency. The U.S. dollar will collapse soon. Now, just because Mr. Putin says something, we obviously shouldn't take it as gospel, but 
there is a lot of open conversations talk being taking place around the world talking about the US dollar and with countries moving away from the US dollar. Now, the US dollar is still used in the majority of international transactions. However, that share is shrinking. And history teaches us that reserve currencies change over time. Now, when I say reserve currency, what I mean is the currency that is reserved or inventoried by countries around the world to trade with each other. So at the present time, many countries reserve U.S. dollars to trade with other countries. And those trades take place in U.S. dollars. So that's where the term reserve currency comes from. It's a currency that is reserved or inventoried to allow for countries to trade with each other. Now, if you go all the way back to the 1400s, Portugal had the reserve currency. Shortly after that, Spain had the reserve currency. By the 1600s, the Netherlands had the reserve currency. By the mid-1700s, the French currency was the reserve currency. And really, prior to World War II, the uh, British pound sterling was the reserve currency, and the dollar has really only been the reserve currency since after World War II. So these reserve currencies change over time, and there's no reason to think that it won't change again. Now, a reserve currency doesn't change until the world discovers a better place to store its economic energy until they're ready to deploy it or use it. Now, as the U.S. dollar has been devalued, the rest of the world is now beginning to look for alternatives. And you only need to look at the rapid rise of cryptocurrencies to see one example of this trend. And the rise in the price of gold and silver, as we just discussed with Dr. McHugh, is another example. Now, Bloomberg recently reported that Russia's gold reserves increased 42% last year. 42%. That is significant. And that tells you that even though President Putin said that the dollar will soon fail, the actions of the country is really backing up that statement, that they believe that that may be in the cards at some point in the future. Now, The World Bank's former chief economist also made a comment with regarding regarding the U.S. dollar as a reserve currency. Justin Lin made this statement while speaking to Bruegel, which is a a think tank, and I'm quoting Mr. Lin. He said, the dominance of the greenback is the root cause of global and financial economic crises. The solution to this is to replace the national currency with a global currency. And if you just take a look at what's happening this year globally, U.S. Treasury reserves held by other countries is down about 10% just in 2019 alone. And if you take a look at global gold reserves, they're up about 20%. So this trend is picking up steam. In fact, if you were to take a look at Treasury treasury reserves and, and gold reserves on a chart, you would see that these are polar opposites. Now, it's impossible to pinpoint exactly when the U.S. dollar might fall more out of favor and might be replaced as a reserve currency, and I think we have a fair amount of time. But the trend 
is easily recognized. So that brings me to my point. And the question is, what should you be doing? I closed the first segment today by asking you a question. What assets do you have in your portfolio that are not the liability of another? That's a very good question to answer. The other things that you might consider would be to transition to more tangible assets in your portfolio. Even if you have IRAs or Roth IRAs, there are strategies to allow you to hold real wealth, tangible assets in your portfolio. And I'm not talking about all of your portfolio, and I'm not saying this is something everyone should do, but you should certainly consider it. Secondly, if you have a traditional IRA or 401k, you might think about doing Roth conversions. This strategy can make a lot of sense for many folks since tax rates are lower today than they will be in 2026 under current law. Um, Business and corporate tax cuts were made permanent when the last tax package was passed, but individual tax cuts were temporary and they'll expire on December 31 of 2025. A Roth IRA is totally tax-free. And in my view, given the debt dynamics that exist in the country and the loose money policies that have become more extreme, it would not be surprising to see future tax rates become more extreme. So getting money out of your retirement account now at a more favorable tax rate might make sense. So I close this segment with two words for you to consider, tax-free and tangible, at least on some of your investments. That's our program for this week. Hope you got something you can use. I'll be back again next week. 